um, I imagine, probably the most frustrated being in all of the universe is Satan. I can't imagine anybody more frustrated than Satan because he has done everything and he continues to do everything in his power and his might to destroy the church, and yet the church cannot be destroyed. Um, he, he's tried to do that, right? He tried to do that way back in the early days of the church. You know, we read about Saul persecuting the church and coming against the church and how he did it. And we'll look at that tonight. But really, that was just Satan stirring people up and doing things to try to, to destroy the church. And yet, the church cannot be destroyed. It can't. And that this church is going to continue to move forward. And we see a beautiful picture in the scriptures tonight of, the, of, of that fact of the church coming under great persecution and yet God's kingdom expanding through that suffering and attack of Satan against the church. Let's look at the scripture in Acts 8, 1 through 8. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. Whose death? Who, who was, who, who, Stephen, who, Saul was there when Stephen was stoned to death and when Stephen brought that wonderful Holy Spirit given defense of the gospel in chapter 7. And Saul was there consenting to his death, giving permission, giving admonition to that, um, encouraging that along. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men, men carried Stephen to his burial and made great, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. You have a, a transitional text here. Chapters 1 through 7 pretty much was about focusing on the apostles in Jerusalem. Now, chapter 8, at the martyrdom of Stephen, moves from focusing on the leadership, the apostles in Jerusalem, now to a furtherance of the gospel, moving out into the world, Samaria and Judea, and, and, and the, the proclamation of that truth going, going forward. And from about... From here onwards, we're going to see the move of the gospel message to the other parts of the world. And eventually, when, when Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journeys, it will move all the way up north to where we know Syria is today and throughout the known world at that time. And the gospel was just moving uh, rapidly through these places. And it started... Because of the martyrdom of Stephen. 
that martyrdom, Satan was wanting to use that to stop the church. Because what? If he can put fear into the people, if he can kill Stephen and, and, and cause others to be afraid of proclaiming or witnessing or living or just letting people know that they are followers of this Jesus of Nazareth, then he can stop the church. But what did it do? The martyrdom of Stephen exploded the church. They weren't stopped or slowed because they were persecuted. They were moved and, and, and went forward with the gospel in a way that the gospel had up to this point not been proclaimed. Thousands of people were being saved, right? God's power was moving in Jerusalem. And in a very short period of time, there were over 5,000 people who are now claiming and proclaiming that they were followers of Jesus. But the church really began to explode after Stephen was persecuted. Look, look at verse 1. The wording of verse 1, depending on what your translation has, it's either uh, in, in that second sentence it says, at that time, or maybe some of yours says, on that day. What's meaning is this. It's indicating that the persecution of the church was initiated by Stephen's martyrdom. Really, up to this point, they, were, they, they threw apostles in prison. They threatened them not to preach and pro proclaim Jesus Christ. But this is when they really went forward against the people of God and against the church. You see, the Jewish leaders, they were all there. Uh, consenting to Stephen's execution, Saul, who was part of that Jewish leadership, this is where Saul, at, at that martyrdom, this is where Saul got his mission from the leadership to be to, to, to rail against the church, to go after Christians. I think in chapter 9, it says kind of how he did it. In verse 1, Paul, who at that time was still called Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and said, please allow me permission to go to Damascus and persecute the believers there. And I will cause them to blaspheme God and to denounce their faith. And this at the martyrdom of Stephen, it brought Saul into the forefront. And it did some wonderful things in the church. I think sometimes as Christians, we work really hard at not allowing ourselves to suffer persecution. We work really hard at not allowing ourselves to get into a position where people might not like what we're doing. You, you know, have you ever been in a, a public place and, man, you're talking football? You're talking football, you know, Arsenal and Man, you and the Dallas Cowboys, I'll just mix my football teams there, my, my, my football game. And you're really loud, but all of a sudden you start talking about Jesus. That ever happened to you? And that volume comes right down, and you almost kind of whisper it. I, that, that, that's almost kind of natural thing at times for us as people. You know, we don't want that persecution. We don't want... Uh, to, to be looked at by others in a negative way. But it was what I'm trying to say is this. 
Do you know when the church really exploded? Is when the church came under persecution. When God's people were put to the test. And then this time, in these early days, they didn't have seminaries for followers of Jesus. They didn't have all the Christian music that we have to encourage ourselves with. They didn't have uh, all the millions, countless thousands of Christian books and aids that we have. They had the Old Testament. They had the apostles teaching them and proclaiming. They had the fellowship of the churches. They had the witnessing time at the temple. They had the time where they would gather together and and commemorate the, the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection through, through the Lord's Supper. They had the time where they would get together and eat together just in fellowship. They had time where they prayed together. Do you see the picture here? The church did things together, both socially at times and spiritually. It was a combined thing. That's all that they had. And when Stephen was martyred, Paul began to, or Saul began to persecute the church. The leadership began to persecute the church, the, and, and they went after Christians. And look what happened. The Bible tells us that something very wonderful happened. But, but why did Paul, you ever thought about this? Why did Paul persecute them? Remember, Paul was, an, uh, was a person, Saul was a one who would say that he loved God. True? Anybody d- disagree with that? Would, would Saul say that he loved God? Yes or no? Yes. Saul would say he loved God with everything he had. Saul would also be one who said that he knew the Scriptures. And yet Saul, when, when, when looking into the eyes of the Gospel, said, I am going to try to destroy that and by, in, in order to do so, I'm going to go after those who follow this Jesus and try to either get them to recant or I'll just kill them. That was what was happening. But why did he do it? Anybody have an idea? Why did Paul go after them? Give me some ideas. What, what are you thinking in your mind? Sorry? I, I didn't hear. Say that again. Zeal? Zeal for God, certainly he had zeal for God. Holy Spirit convicting him. Any other thoughts? Jesus even said, why are you fighting against me? And meaning, meaning that Saul had been fighting against God. Do you know what Paul later on said why he, he went after that church, take your Bibles and look at 1 Timothy 1.13. Paul talking to Timothy, he, he explained a little as to why he went after the church. And it says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. See, this this ignorance that he talks about means that his actions were a product of not knowing the truth. It was right there in front of his face. But Paul said, I just didn't get it and I didn't understand it. He thought he was pleasing the Lord. 
he thought he was doing the right things. But later on, he realized being a blasphemer and a persecutor and the insolent man that I was, praise God, I received mercy because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Paul thought in that ignorance and that unbelief of the truth, he thought he was doing everything that he should have been doing. He thought he was following the law. He thought being a Jew was enough. He said, look, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock and descendant and lineage of Israel. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When it came to the law, you couldn't touch me. I rigorously obeyed the law. I was a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. I was blameless. But you know what he said? Later on, as Hazel said, when he met Jesus personally on the Damascus Road, and, and the Lord opened his eyes, and, and he simply said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know the story about going into Damascus. Later on, when Paul was writing in the book of Philippians, he wrote this, but I realized something. The things that were gained to me, I have now counted loss for Christ. Everything that I held to be the truth and the reason of my righteousness, I gladly have put them away to gain Jesus Christ. His eyes were opened and he understood that salvation in in entrance into the kingdom of God wasn't about works. It was about Jesus Christ. I, I got to thinking about this. Do you know anybody that's fighting against the Lord? Do you know anybody that, that maybe curses the name of, of God or um, blasphemes Christ and, and, and the Father and they're angry and they're, they're attacking Christians? Do, do you know anybody like that? Do you know sometimes... It seems that people do that because what's really happening is they're being affected by the gospel and they're fighting against the truth that's pricking their heart. Let me tell you a little story. We were kids, me and my brother Jeff, and um, I can't even recall how old we, we were, but I think we were maybe Micah's age, not much older than that, maybe nine, ten at the most I might have been, so Jeff would have been about eight nine something like that and mom and dad sent us to a summer camp for a week and it ended up being a christian summer camp you know it's funny my mom and dad were adamant unbelievers and yet looking back in my life we ended up at a lot of bible camps as kids we we, we went to sunday school at times never anything real consistent but looking back God planted a ton of seeds in my heart through those experiences and those things. And I remember sitting in the, the service and it was all geared for children and they preached the gospel. And my brother Jeff went up forward to find out more, to pray or to do something. And I was sitting there just thinking, I, I'm not doing this. I'm not, no, I'm not listening. And I was fighting it in my heart. 
when mom and dad came to pick us up at the end of the week, Jeff told them, oh, oh, actually, Jeff didn't. I did. I said, hey, pops, Jeff got religious this week. And I started making fun of him, and I started ridiculing him, and maybe that might have been the reason that Jeff just stopped and didn't do anything from there. But do you know why I did that? Because in my heart, God was convicting me of my sin. And I just wonder, you know, people who persecute you as a believer, or people who persecute Christianity, maybe they're doing it in ignorance and unbelief of the truth and that the Holy Spirit might be convicting them. So when you encounter that, what do you do? You know, I have a habit of when someone punches, I punch back, right? You, you, you like that? That's a human nature thing, I think. But I, 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 we need to pray that God would give us a heart for people and in a way that when they are fighting and coming against the gospel, that, that we might be like Stephen when he was being stoned to death and he lo- God gave him a glimpse, a glimpse of glory and he didn't rail against his murderers, but he just praised and worshipped God before he went into the kingdom. You know, maybe we ought to have a heart more like that for people who go after the church. What if that person who's given you a hard time at work Because you're a Christian, man, he could very well become the next person that God uses for the glory of his kingdom. Amen? Is that not possible? Is that not possible that God can take the most hate-filled and adamantly uh, uh, belligerent person against the gospel and God can save him and turn him into maybe another apostle Paul? God's able to do that. Why was Paul going after the church? He was going after the church for a lot of reasons. Satan was trying to destroy the church. Paul was trying to work his way to heaven. And God was working on his heart, probably telling him that's not the way. And it was maybe trying to console himself or to ease that fight by going after the church. But finally, Paul said, man, what I thought was gain, I count it loss for Jesus Christ. And he came to faith in the Lord. But what were the results of that persecution? This is really what I want to kind of look at tonight. What happened when the church came under such vehement persecution? Do you know the Bible says that when Paul was persecuting the church, he was doing it like a raging animal. He was... He was vicious in the way in which he persecuted the church. The Bible says, you look at chapter 9, look how he was doing it. He was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. The Bible says in in chapter 8, in uh, verse 3, that he was making havoc of the church. That that word havoc is the word ravaging. He was systematically trying to go through the church and destroy the church. But look at the results of it. He tried his very best. But Jesus even told us the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? What do we do when we come under persecution? I think we have a really good example of two things that we can do when people 
slander us for the name of Christ or persecute us for the name of Christ or, or do whatever against the church because they're, they're fighting against the church. We have two wonderful examples. Look at, let's look at verses 4 through 8 one last time. Therefore, in the persecution of Saul, those who were scattered, those who were persecuted, those who were under the threat of Saul, under the threat of the Pharisees, under the threat of the leadership of the, of the Jewish faith, what did they do? They were scattered. I mean, they were running for their lives in some, in some instances. But what does that, that word scattered, it actually has a really cool meaning. It mean, you ever see a farmer, um, uh, you ever see a farmer sow seed? Sometimes grandpa would go out and he would have a bag of seed. I don't know what he was sowing, but he'd have a bag of seed on his field and he'd go like this. And it would scatter that seed all over the ground. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, okay, some of you. That's what was happening here. There's this vision, there's this idea of this persecution, maybe, certainly, it was allowed by God. But it was actually not Saul and Satan dispersing the church. Maybe we ought to look at it as God scattering the church. That word scattered to mean scattered like, like a farmer sowing seeds. And so therefore the believers were being scattered like seed. What does seed do when it gets scattered? What's it do? It grows. Yes, Lydia, think it grows. What did the church do? Man, when they were being persecuted, God scattered them. It was as if, it's like this idea when the farmer throws that seed, that air, the, the wind kind of picks it up and it, and it scatters it and pulls it out and draws it and lands on the ground. And it is exactly like that. God, it's as if he was blowing the wind and scattering the disciples of Jesus for others. They were being planted in different places around, around Jerusalem, in Judea and in Samaria. Do you remember what Samaria is? Yes or no, would a Jew take a holiday in Samaria? No. Yes or no, did the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, did they get along with one another? They hated each other. They hated each other over the process and the way in which they did their religion. What did God do? God scattered those disciples into Judea and into Samaria. Those followers of Jesus took the gospel to where their, their Jewish brethren would not even go. God wants the church to move. Maybe sometimes God allows persecution to come into the church so the church would move forward for his glory and for his honor. God was scattering the people so that others could hear the gospel. The Bible says that everyone was scattered except for the apostles. Apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Why? Probably to continue to strengthen the church that was in Jerusalem. Because a church that is strong is a church like 
the, the, the brighter a light shines here, the farther out the light reaches there. Do you understand that thing? So those apostles stayed there in the church to continue to do what they said in chapter 6, to stay in the word, to stay in prayer, to strengthen the people of God. Others in those churches, the people were scattered and they went out. And what did they go out doing? Did they go out in fear? Did they go out in, in uh, speculation of, of now what's going to happen to, to them as people? No, they went out preaching the gospel. Look at verse 4. Those who were scattered, who God moved, went everywhere preaching the word. Do you know what? That's you and me. Say, but pastor, I'm not a preacher of the word. Neither were they. Do you know the, the word that, that, that Luke uses because of the Holy Spirit giving it to him for the, for the English word preaching is the Greek word evangelizo. Do you know what they went out doing? Evangelizing. They weren't setting up in a public square proclaiming the gospel. Remember when the, the maniac of Gadara became a, a follower of Jesus, the, the demon-possessed guy? And he went, at, when Jesus and the disciples went to get back in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee again, there was that demon-possessed dude following the disciples into the boat. And the Lord said, what are you doing? And, and he's like, I'm going with you. Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to your people and to your home and to your city, and I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to tell them what I did in your life. And the Bible says that he entered that city and he proclaimed to the city. He was street preaching or sidewalk preaching or cafe. He was just telling the city as a herald what Jesus did for him. But that's not what these people were doing. You know what they were doing? They were evangelizing. They were simply telling people of Jesus. They were being seeds. And everywhere they went as seeds, they were planted into that soil. And, and what did God do? Many people began to believe on Jesus Christ because those people went to be witnesses of their faith wherever they ended up being, whether it was in Judea or Samaria. They were telling people in a daily routine. When they would go to these cities, what were they doing? They were finding a place to live. They were finding a place to meet up with other believers. They were doing exactly what you and I do when we move into an area. We make home. We make life, correct? That's what they were doing. And in making life and in making home and in making roots into this place where they moved, they were evangelizing. They were being a witness to the people there of Christ. Do you know what they were doing? They were doing this because, number one, they were equipped. Number two, they were engaging with others. And number three, they were embracing people. If we want to reach our world, our city, our place for Christ, there's three things that we need to do. Number one, need to be equipped. Can I tell you of a blessing? Hazel, you remember Alex, right? Alex, who's been coming to church. 
if you ask Hazel, she'll tell you exactly what time he was. I'm, I'm kidding. Alex has been coming to our church for four weeks. He started two weeks while we were in Armenia, and he's been here the last two weeks. And we've chatted briefly back here for a few minutes after the services, and we've talked a little bit. And last week, we, we, we agreed to meet up yesterday afternoon and go out and have a coffee. And just from talking to him, and especially after he left church last Sunday, I kind of sensed that he's very open and very ready for the gospel. And um, so we met over at Chiswick, uh, the Starbucks across the new one here, across the street. And the bottom line is this. We're sitting there, and we spent about an hour and a half or so talking. And he said, he said Steve, he said, I know that I've sinned against God. I know in his own words, I know that if I were to die, that, that he, he, he got really quiet. He said that I would go to that place where, where it's torment and, and hell. I know that. He said, I know Jesus died for my sins. I believe all that. And I asked him, I said, I said uh, Alex, do you believe that you're saved or born again? He goes, I don't know, but I want to be. So I said, and, and the conversation's much longer and much more detailed and much more thorough. But I said, when he got to that point where he wants to be a Christian and follower of Christ, I asked him, I said, Alex, do you, do you want to, you, you know, we can do one of three things. We can pray right here. We can go back to the church and you can pray. Or, dude, you can go home. And pray. It's just your heart and, and what you talk to the Lord about and, and, and ask Him to forgive you and all that stuff. He said, Steve, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to pray right here and right now. And right there in the middle of Starbucks, he bowed his head and he accepted Jesus Christ into his life. And, and he, he, he became a believer in Christ. The truth is, I believe he became a believer way before he even prayed that little prayer in Starbucks. And what a blessing was people were kind of going, what in the world is going on over there? And here's what he said afterwards. He said, you know what? I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to do something with my life for God. He said, how do I do that? I said, Alex, you need to be equipped. Come to church, get in your Bible, get around other Christians they will sharpen you. You will sharpen them. They will disciple you, and we will disciple you, and you'll grow. And just be in God's place and, and around God's people and around God's word. And then I said, get engaged in life as a Christian around you. When you go places now, just don't go there as Alex Wheeler, the dude that goes to the Art Edge building, but go there as Alex Wheeler, a, a, a person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're a Christian now, and you go into this world as that Christian. And when we do that, we will engage people. We will talk to people. We will con and get in contact with people. And then I said, Alex, what you do is you embrace them. You love them. And you do things for them. And, and you get involved in their life. If we want to be a witness... We need to do what the early church did. They didn't have gospel tracts and they didn't have mobile phones to text people Bible verses. They didn't have a Bible to carry with them. 
The way they witnessed is they got into people's life. That's what those scattered seeds did. Church, maybe sometimes God allows the persecution to get us up and get us out. You know, to get the seeds planted. And that is exactly what he did here. Saul wanted to destroy it. Satan wanted to destroy it. God wanted to build it. And that's exactly what happened. God's people were evangelizing. They were, they were equipped by the Holy Spirit. They were engaging in life with people. But more than and this is why I think there's a difference between engaging and embracing. We engage by talking, don't we? We engage by getting to know people. We engage by going to the water cooler and say, did you build a building today? I don't know, Stephen. Whatever you guys talk at the water cooler about, you know, did you build something today or did you do that today? That's engaging. You're, you're looking for avenues of approach. You're looking for ways and you're, you're wanting to get to know people. But then we've got to go beyond that. We've got to embrace people. We've got to love people and we've got to give our life to people. You know, at the gym, I said, I think that's at the point in which we're at. We're engaging people, but now we're having to begin to embrace people. And that's a difficult thing in the world. And that is not easy to do in your workplaces, is it? But this is how we will reach people for Christ. This is how they reach people for Christ at that day. Stephen wanted to destroy it, but man, you can't destroy the church. And Christian, I, I want us to understand something tonight. Maybe if you're suffering persecution for your faith, if, you're, if people are getting on you because you're a Christian, allow, that, allow God to use that to use your life in their life because what do you think Stephen did to Saul? The witness that was there in Saul's life. There's no way Saul could have ever gotten the truth of what Stephen said out of his mind or out of his heart. That truth was, was primary in God using it to bring him to faith. Listen, don't be afraid of what the world has to offer us. Because what the world has to offer us isn't a pedestal to stand on and pro proclaim Christ. It's probably a reviling voice or a sarcastic tongue or, or a persecuting spirit against us. But what we can do is this. We can flourish in that kind of environment when we allow ourselves to be planted for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week we'll look at Philip. But two things happened to the church. The people of God didn't quit. They didn't give in. They didn't stop sharing their faith. They just went about sharing as they went and where God took them. But then secondly, the leadership also set the example of the proclamation of the gospel. Christian, listen. I sat in a, in a, a Chiswick, uh, a, a restaurant up here at Chiswick Park today with four other Christians. And all around us, there was probably nearly 
150, maybe 200 people having lunch in this huge restaurant there. And I looked at those four people and I saw four individuals that took their lunchtime to meet with other believers so they could be equipped and be able to engage and embrace the gospel to other people around them. You know what they prayed about? They prayed about going back to their workplaces to be a witness for Jesus. There isn't a greater thing that we could do with our life than to be engaged in telling people about the Lord and, and about Christ and about what it is to be saved. That is why, that is one of the primary reasons why we continue in the gym. Lately, we've been wanting to quit the gym, to be honest with you. Old people shouldn't lift weights. Amen? It's painful. But you know what we keep, keep going? We keep going because there's about a dozen people that we've encountered that need Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why they were spread out beyond Jerusalem. Because there were people that needed Jesus Christ. Let's take the gospel to the world. Let's, let's continue to allow ourselves to be equipped with the knowledge of the truth. Let us allow ourselves to open our hearts so that we can be engaged with other people and allow us to commit ourselves to embrace them and to love them and to, to be concerned enough about them to actually tell them about Jesus Christ and what he did came into this world. When we look at what Saul did, this is a pivotal time in the life of the church. They allowed that persecution to, uh, to, the persecution allowed them to be planted and to take the truth in places that they could have never done it unless that happened. Let's be willing to do that if it comes our way. Let's pray.